to Post Game with Paul Golden, a sports and faith podcast. I'm your host, Tim Donnelly. Thanks for joining us. Today, our guest is basketball lifer Mike Jarvis, who coached 25 seasons at the NCAA Division I level. He is an author of three books and a motivational speaker. Coach Jarvis will share some fascinating stories, including his connections to NBA great Patrick Ewing and the legendary Red Arbach. This faithful follower of Jesus Christ will share coaching insights and spiritual lessons learned along the way. Be sure to stay tuned to the very end for a fun one-on-one fast break with Coach Mike Jarvis. And now, here's your host of the Post Game Podcast, Paul Golden. Well, welcome to Post Game with Paul Golden. I'm Paul Golden, and our very special guest today is uh, Coach Mike Jarvis. Mike is a former coach, 25 years in uh, Division I NCAA. He coached at Boston University, George Washington University, St. John's, and most recently at Florida Atlantic. Interestingly enough, he led three of those universities to the NCAA tournament and made nine appearances in all. He won the Big East Tournament when he was at St. John's. They also won the NIT Championship, also at St. John's. I think I first saw him come on the scene when uh, he led his team uh, at George Washington uh, to the Sweet 16 back in 1993, and uh, only losing to uh, Michigan's Fab Five. But probably his claim to fame, we'll get to in a second, is coaching Patrick Ewing. But before that, let's welcome Coach Mike Jarvis to the podcast. Well, thank you very much, Paul. It's great to be on and um, looking forward to our conversation. Well, you're a coach, an author, and speaker. But before all that, your kind of claim to fame, as I mentioned, was uh, back in the mid-1970s. You were a high school coach in the Boston area. I think actually coaching at your alma mater, and you, uh, you came across this kid uh, who had just moved from uh, Kingston, Jamaica, uh, named Patrick Ewing. What was that like coaching Patrick Ewing? I can't even describe uh, what it was like, uh, you know, uh, and the older I get, the more blessed I know that I really am to have had the opportunity to coach a once-in-a-lifetime player like Patrick. It's hard to even describe. And, you know, the, the most, I guess, difficult thing was – Really, really seeing his development because I was with him every day. So I probably saw it less than anybody. I mean, it'd be almost like if you went into the gym and you saw a kid as a freshman and you came back four years later and you saw him as a senior, you'd say, wow. But, you know, when you see him every day, you know, you just don't see the kind of improvement, the overall improvement that other people uh, saw. So I, I probably missed a little bit of really seeing how, how he was progressing and how great he really was until later on when I, you know, had time to really reflect back and just think about some of the things that he did and we did collectively as a team. Obviously, fast forward after his uh, legendary NBA career and his collegiate career at Georgetown. Now he's a coach, just like you were. He's coaching his alma mater at Georgetown. So I'm sure it's exciting for you as a coach to see one of your former players following your footsteps. It always is, yes. You know, it's uh, your players, they're your family. They're, they're like your own children. And, you know, there's not, nothing more satisfying than seeing one of your kids doing something that, that you loved and you know that they love it also and uh, that you had a part in it. So it really doesn't get much better than that. 
Speaking of family, you grew up in the Boston, Massachusetts area. Did you play sports growing up? What was your childhood like as a kid? You know, back in those days, uh, you played a sport every season. So you played football and then you played basketball and then you played baseball. So I played those three sports up until the time I got to high school as a freshman when I broke my ankle playing football. I said, well, enough of that sport. So I gave that up. And I then concentrated on basketball and baseball. Baseball was my best sport. I was a catcher, good behind the plate. I loved the role that a catcher played. And But I had a problem hitting the curveball. So my baseball career was shortened. Well, join the club. Yeah, so basketball uh, ended up being the sport that I concentrated on uh, in college. You know, fortunately for me, I had a great college coach who basically ended up giving me the opportunity to uh, to coach on his staff after I graduated. and uh, But baseball was my number one sport. Um, and I thought I, I had a chance of maybe playing professionally if I could just hit a little bit. I hit especially the curveball. I might have been able to play because I was a pretty good catcher. Watch out, Carlton Fisk. Could have been, uh, he could have been the catcher for the Red Sox. You mentioned playing basketball at Northeastern University there. If I remember right, you almost quit or you did quit. I did. What, what were the circumstances surrounding that and why'd you come back? Well, I quit when I was a sophomore because I was not playing. And like most kids sitting on the bench, you blame everything on everybody else. So I blamed the coach. And what it really was, was my lack of fundamentals. I had the physical ability and the toughness and all that stuff. But I, my fundamentals were a little bit shaky. I, we won in high school mainly because we just were more talented than the other teams and we basically were tougher and beat them up the further you go along the more you, your fundamentals have, have to be honed and my fundamentals were not that good and it's really the reason why i ended up wanting to coach so that i could teach uh, young people the next group of mike jarvis is uh, the fundamentals that i wasn't taught that's the main reason why i went back to my high school and wanted to coach basketball there did any of your children play for you my son uh, who, like his dad, baseball was probably his best sport. He ended up being a, a really, really good point guard. In fact, he he shared the backcourt with a, with a kid that was pretty talented, Ramil Robinson, uh, Michigan. They played together in the backcourt at Cambridge. Mike ended up, uh, he went to prep school for a year after high school, went to Avon Old Farms in Connecticut, and then he came to Boston University where I was coaching, played a year for me, and that was before I went to George Washington. And When I left, he stayed and played uh, the remainder of his career at BU. After graduating, he became my assistant coach at George Washington. In fact, in that first year of his coaching, uh, he and I were on the bench the night when we lost to the Fab Five in the Sweet 16. So he followed his dad as far as uh, his inability to to play at the highest level in baseball. Uh, he was a great little baseball player. But what a special treat as a father that would be to, to share the bench with your son and make that magical run in March Madness to go that far. That's, that's exciting. One of the greatest tributes that a child can give a parent is to want to be with them when they're old enough to leave home, to want to stay and work with them. So when my son decided he wanted to be a coach like his dad and he wanted to work with me, I mean, I was just honored flabbergasted. He was a great, great assistant. He had your back. He was a really good teacher and a good coach. And, you know, we were the first African-American father-son coaching team in Division I basketball history back in 1993. 
a lot of people, you know, think that maybe the Thompsons, uh, actually the John and his son uh, never coached together. So we were the first, you know, there were a few others, you know, Tubby Smith and I think Nolan Richardson might have had his son coach with him, but we were the first and uh, really proud of that, to be honest with you. You were a winning coach at every level, winning at Boston and going to George Washington and St. John's. You didn't come to faith in Christ till later in your life. Maybe tell us some of the circumstances surrounding how you became a follower of Christ. Well, you know, I, I grew up in the Catholic Church. Uh, my mom and I would go to church every Sunday together. And then, you know, I would go to church. And my wife often told people that one of the reasons why she married me and liked me was the fact that she saw me going to church because we lived next door to each other in high school. We were high school sweethearts. And uh, so anyhow, um, I went to the Catholic church. So I grew up in church, but I really didn't have a relationship um, with our Lord and Savior until I moved to Florida. And when I, we left to move to Florida, we we were left uh, basically to get out of the big city, to get out of New York, to get away from all the craziness that was going on there. And we decided to move to Florida because it was warm and it wasn't that far from where our kids would be living. So we chose Florida, but I thought I was basically running away from something. But at the same, but really what was happening was God was directing me. He was leading me uh, to uh, not only Florida, but more importantly, to a relationship with the senior pastor at Spanish River Church, uh, David Nicholas, who was sort of like a modern day Billy Graham. And you know, David's mission in life was to try to get as many people as he can to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, to be born again. And, you know, so when I went to church, in fact, the first Sunday we went to church, he he recognized me and asked me to stop by and speak to him after church. And I did. And uh, he told me, you know, that he'd been following my career and he wanted me to continue to come to church, which we had already decided that we were going to do because it was a really great church and he was a great teacher. He taught you, uh, he fed you, you know? And uh, so he then invited me to join his Bible study group on Friday mornings. And one Friday morning, I went to his Bible study group and there was nobody there. And he says, hey, you know, you didn't get the memo. I says, no, I didn't get it. He says, well, you know, Bible study was canceled this morning, but why don't you come on in and we'll have a chat. So I went in and it was he and I, uh, we went one-on-one -on -one for a couple hours. And later that morning, I went home and I sat out back in my house and I was overlooking the golf course. And, and I said, you know, I think the good Lord's trying to tell me something. And it was on that day, it was April 29, 2005, at the age of 60, I decided uh, it was time to become a member of the greatest team, uh, God's team. And I gave my life to Christ that day and uh, was born again cemented my place in the real Hall of Fame. That's how I came to Christ. Amen. That's a great encouragement. doesn't matter uh, what age of life, but recognizing uh, we can't earn our way to heaven. That's right. Or work our way to heaven. It's all of what Christ has done for us. Well, you know, it's funny. It's uh, until I started attending the church and listening to him and talking with him every Friday morning, I never, ever really put it all together. And it was when I when I started to really be taught, you know, the word and what God uh, did for us uh, by sending his son to live a perfect life and to die and to shed his blood for our sins. And, you know, for all that he went through just so that we can have a relationship with his father and have a basically a ticket into the championship game or uh, into the Hall of Fame. I, you know, I never really, really put it all together until 
like I said, later in life, I mean, it was we went to church and I, I always believed in God, but I really didn't understand, didn't really understand what it was all about until later. And then once you do, you realize that you've got to share that, the good news with other people. That's what I'd like to hope I can do for the remainder of the time that I'm on this side of things. So these past 16 years that you've uh, been a follower of Christ, what are some spiritual disciplines or exercises that you do to help you in your own spiritual walk? When you do accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you, you know, you basically become a bona fide Christian. I mean, it's it's even tougher because I think the devil then wants you even more and he throws even more temptations at you. So it's tougher now. It's just like when a coach teaches you something and you know what the right thing is. You know, sometimes it's still, it's difficult to do that because of the bad habits you have. So, but when you become a follower and you know what you're supposed to do, it's almost like that light bulb goes on a lot quicker than it did. You know, you realize it. So now you, now you say, okay, what can I do? Or what are some of the things I need to do? So what I've tried to do and what I, what I did and what David encouraged me to do is to, to get in the Word, to try to start the day every day in the Word, uh, trying to do some Bible study with my wife. We, we had a Bible study group that was meeting at our house in here in Florida. And we're going to be restarting that up again. And, and of course, you know, it always helps to go to church on Sundays um, and, and be in the midst in the company of other followers. And then, you know, you just try to I try to identify some strong men and women that I can communicate with on a regular basis. And uh, when things start to get a little bit funky, a little crazy, have someone to, to call, and, you know, and, and talk to. Right. And that's great advice for all followers of Christ to be in the word, be active in a church and uh, have good accountability and fellow followers surrounding you. Speaking of the book, the Bible, you've been blessed to write at least three books that I know of skills for life. Everybody needs a head coach. And then I think your most recent one, seven C's of leadership, fulfilling your God given call to inspire, influence and serve. And I love the title and subtitle. Can you give us maybe just an overview of uh, the seven C's of leadership book? The first book was a life skills book that really was more secular than biblical. The second book was a, a uh, Everybody Needs a Head Coach, was 23 stories uh, from the life of a coach that, that related to and tied to biblical stories. The seven C's of leadership, I wanted, we wanted to take the, the principles of leadership and life and take them to another level by making them more spiritual and more relatable to the word of God. In that particular book, we, we came up with seven C's that would basically redefine, that would be critical uh, in leadership. The seven C's uh, were confidence, courage, character, commitment, communication, community, and coach. In each of those chapters, we related biblical stories directly to uh, life stories. Then we had seven keys that went along with each of those principles, okay? And we expounded upon those. And then we had seven questions that you as an individual or a family or a team could sit and discuss. And then we had what we would call follow-through items, items that you could then use to try to put that particular leadership skill into practice. You're listening to Post Game with Paul Golden, and our guest today is uh, Coach Mike Jarvis, uh, speaking about his book, Seven Seas of Leadership. 
uh, check it out. I'm sure it's on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. These last 12, 13 months have been uh, great unrest socially and racially in our country. And uh, you're first and foremost a follower of Christ, but you're also African-American. How does your faith help you understand or have a biblical view of of race and ethnicity and, and, and unity? First of all, I try to look at what's going on today and I guess what's been going on more through a biblical view than a secular view. You know, I'm very disturbed and very troubled by uh, just how race is being used, weaponized today. Everything becomes uh, racial. Everything, you know, if you say anything that folks don't agree with immediately or racist. The one thing that, that I do know is that we will all, all of us, every single one of us were born in the image of God. Uh, we all bleed the same color blood. We, if you, you know, when you trace our roots, they all trace back to the same place. It, it troubles me and, and bothers me how I believe race has been used to separate us, to get folks fighting against one another. And it just, it sort of convinces, convincing me more and more, the more and more I see what's going on. I do believe that Jesus Christ is coming back sooner than later. You know, he can, you know, God cannot be pleased with what's going on right now. One of the reasons why I loved sports when I was growing up, you know, it wasn't about what color you were. It was about, can you help your team win? And that's what I think life and what being American and being a citizen should be about. How can you help the United States of America? How can you help your, your team win? What can you do to contribute? And um, it's not about what color you are. I'm looking at things and you got, you know, more and more time to listen and to watch what's going on. And it's very disturbing how race is being used uh, right now to separate, to divide. And eventually, I think, you know, folks figure if they can use it good enough, they're going to conquer. And uh, we've got to be careful because, um, you know, our kingdom could fall just like all the other kingdoms have fallen if we're not careful. Right. And I think I agree with you wholeheartedly. It certainly is not a skin problem, but it is a sin problem, a problem of the heart. And really the only answer for racial divide is uh, Jesus Christ. You have a relationship with uh, or had a relationship with a legendary coach, Red Auerbach. Maybe briefly tell us about your connection to him. He, he basically was my my first teacher because my brother Richard used to save up enough money to take us to see the Boston Celtics play back in the days when they won the championship just about every year. And so was, I'm sitting watching Red Arrow back and I might have been one of the few people in the in the arena, in the garden, Boston Garden, watching the coach as opposed to watching the game. And I just loved the way that he managed, you know, the, the sideline, how he worked the refs, how he, you know, uh, put his teams together. And in the early 70s, I had an opportunity, thanks to my brother-in-law, who had a relationship with uh, Tom Sack Sanders, uh, number 16, legendary basketball player on the Celtics. And uh, he, he was able to get me an interview with Tom. And I worked with Satch Sanders at Harvard University for four years. And during that time, I uh, got to know Red Auerbach personally. And then when I went to George Washington University years later, I uh, found out that he was a graduate of GW, lived in D.C., used to come to our practices, and we used to have lunchroom chats, you know, uh, and every year at the end of the basketball season, we would meet in my office, and he, we would just talk about coaching, uh, not about 
X's and O's, but just about managing people and working with putting a team together and the psychology of coaching. And I learned a lot by just, you know, getting to know Red and sitting down and having intimate one-on-one conversation with him. And a couple of things that, that I want to share that he shared with me, and I will never forget uh, once, a couple of things he said, I'll never forget. He said, you know, coach, he says, uh, I may not always be right, but I've never been wrong. <laughs> he was obviously a man that did not lack confidence. <laughs> That's good. And he was, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, resented him because he was so sure of himself. But, you know, he was pretty, pretty co- correct on that statement. And then he said to me, he says, Mike, he says, you know, uh, recruiting is very important. He says, in fact, you got to know the type of player you want to recruit, the type of person you want to recruit. And he said to me, he said, Mike, recruit character, not characters. And I'll never forget that. Recruit character, not characters characters mm, that's great the last little tidbit one of the last things he gave to me and i could write a book on the lessons lessons from red he said you know he says the only time you lose coach is when you don't learn he says so every time you lose a game or lose a recruit you can learn something that'll help you get the next win or the next recruit and it's so true the only time we lose is when we don't learn and that's true in our christian faith i mean if we don't learn from our mistakes, then then we lose, and we lose a piece of ourselves. And if I live 24 more years as of April 11th, I'll be 100 years old. Most of my years are gone. If God blesses me with another four, five, 10, 24, then what I'm going to try to do is, is just try to remember the lessons, uh, the things that I didn't do, and then try to go see if I can maybe not only correct some of those things for myself, but maybe teach my grandchildren um, some of those lessons so that they don't have to learn the hard way. As we finish up post-game with Paul Golden and with our guest, Coach Mike Jarvis, we have a thing called Fast Break. I give you a quick question, you give me a short answer, and we kind of rapid fire. So in honor of Coach Red Auerbach, we're going to do the Fast Break with uh, Coach Mike Jarvis. First question, favorite NBA team? Boston Celtics. I assume that was my, I think I know the answer to your next one. Your favorite major league baseball team. Boston Red Sox. Oh boy. I'm a Yankee fan. So I need, we'll have to edit this out later. Uh, your sports hero growing up. Oh, I had so many. Um, Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, Mickey Mantle. Awesome. Well, thank you for that Yankee uh, hero there. <laughs> Coach who impacted your career the most. Coach Dick Dukeshire, Northeastern University. Best piece of advice you've ever received. Make your wife your best recruit ever. Mm, I like that. The best all-around athlete you ever coached. Just pure athlete. Probably Ramil Robinson. Mm. Cambridge, Michigan fame. The former player who you think would have been a great coach. He's not a coach, but he would have been a great coach. Yeah, you know, who played for me at Harvard University. And I know you wanted to be a coach. But he became an attorney and uh, did very, very well. But boy, what a great coach he would have been. Mm. You talked about recruiting. Of all the recruits, you know, the fish that got away, what's the best recruit that you did not land? Well, the best recruit that didn't play for me, I landed him, but he decided to go pro was Darius Miles. He went top six, I believe, in the NBA draft. Um, but he was probably the most accomplished player that 
I, I actually never played for me. He committed to come to St. John's, but he never came. And then there was a young man that I that I, I just blew it on by the name of David Vanderpool, who went to St. Bonaventure. And I had a chance to get him at GW, and I passed on him uh, because he passed on me early. I should have given him a second chance and recruited him. And he'll be coaching in the NBA uh, soon. Of all the four universities you coach, which which one was your favorite place to live? I was born and raised in Cambridge, okay, where I coached at the high school. And obviously that's, you know, it goes without saying that that probably was the greatest place because I was there the longest and it had the greatest effect on my life. But after that, I would say probably we lived in uh, Potomac, Maryland when I was at George Washington. You know, we had a great home. We had a great, we had a really good church that we went to, and my wife loved it. The only place we ever left that she cried when we left was uh, when we left DC. Hmm. Coach Jarvis, your favorite go-to late-night snack? Well, you know, it's become it used to be ice cream, and uh, but with you know age and cholesterol and sugar and all that stuff, uh, now it's apples. Now it's a Granny Smith apple. Uh, that I, I get my little knife and I cut off a piece, give a piece to my wife. I have a piece. I'll give her another piece and then I'll eat the rest of the apple. Um, an apple a day definitely helps to keep the doctor away. Chick-fil-A, Popeye's or Zaxby's chicken? Probably the one that's probably the least good for me would probably be Popeye's. There's something about a, about a piece of Popeye's chicken, you know, uh, that's, that's kind of special. So I'd say Popeye's. Best basketball movie of all time. Hoosiers. What about the best sports movie of all time? Any sport. Rocky, Rudy, Miracle. Oh, I loved Rocky. Uh, the movie with uh, Denzel Washington. And I think it was the football team um, from Virginia. Um, Remember the Titans? Remember the Titans. That was, a, that was a classic. The GOAT discussion. Michael Jordan or LeBron? Bill Russell. <laughs> Bill Russell. <laughs> Spoken like a true Celtic fan. Most memorable basketball game you ever coached? It was the semifinals in the States in the Boston Garden, uh, 1978 against Boston Latin High School. It was the year we won our first uh, state championship. And uh, they had an All-American by the name of Paul Little. We had Patrick Ewing. And Patrick Ewing picked up, uh, got Paul Little to commit a charging foul on the left baseline toward the end of the game. He fouled out. Patrick stayed in. We won our first state championship that year, and that basically was the game that sort of catapulted all of us onward. Awesome. Your favorite Bible verse? Well, I mean, I'd have to say, you know, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So whoever believes in him, so not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, you know, I mean, I think that says it all. Your favorite book other than the Bible? Everybody needs a head coach. <laughs> I like it. That's good. Second would be skills for life and uh, seven C's for leadership. Yeah, those, take those in any order. But I, I, everybody needs a head coach because it's sort of like the closest thing to a. It's just so personal. You know, 23 stories from an incredibly blessed life. Not all totally successful, but all informative and great life lessons to be learned from every one of them. Last question. You talk about a blessed life. What is your legacy? How do you want to be remembered as you kind of look back on your coaching career and your impacting of players and 
coaches and personnel? I mean, I'd like to hope that I am remembered. You know, I mean, let's face it. There are so many people. I'm sure you every now and then you'll say, geez, I, I remember that guy, but what was his name? I, I guess I'd like to, I, I hope to be remembered as a guy who really loved the Lord, uh, wasn't afraid to say what he what he really believed. You know, I hope and pray that my grandchildren remember their grandfather for being a person who loved them, who cared about them, and who basically tried to give them what they needed more so than what they wanted. You have a great coaching legacy, but it's obvious you uh, are leaving a great spiritual legacy for your children and grandchildren. So we we admire that and respect that. Coach, thanks for your time today on the podcast. Any last comments or thoughts before we go? You know, God gave each and every one of us special gifts that we're supposed to discover, to use, and to share. So if you get a chance to share those gifts uh, with other people on a platform like this or any other platform, my advice would be to take advantage of it because you never know who is listening and what someone might pick up you know, to help their journey. Because um, life is a journey uh, full of ups and downs and all arounds. And you just never know who you can positively impact. But if you don't share, then you'll never know. Thank you, Coach Mike Jarvis. God bless you. And thank you very much, Paul. Really appreciate the time that we spent together. Okay, continue success, my friend. Hey, thank you. trust you were encouraged with a conversation with coach mike jarvis if you enjoyed this podcast we'd ask that you subscribe to the post game with paul golden podcast this way you'll never miss an upcoming episode forward this podcast to that sports fan you know and tell others about this unique sports and faith podcast thank you so much for joining us for post game with paul golden